And you may be seated. Good morning. If I've not met you before, my name's Steve. We are in a study of the book of Revelation. And uh, before I get there, one thing I did want to mention, if you're new, one of the things we enjoy doing is we call it pizza with the pastor. Uh, We're doing one tonight. It's completely booked out, but we ended up having, um, Tammy was sick last time. And of course, during the holidays, we don't do it. So we've actually are sneaking in an extra one. I think it's the first weekend in November. So if you've not been able to come, uh, you might want to get signed up for that. It's, I think, November the 6th. Is that that Sunday? 5th? Okay, there you go. And, uh, and then we'll do one at the end of November. <clears throat> and then it won't be until the end of January. So just let you know that. Now, <clears throat> in the essence of transparency, uh, today's a tough sermon. It's a hard sermon. You know, someone said that in the beginning, God created man in his image. And since that time, man has been repaying that favor to God by continually creating God's in his image. And today we like to fashion God like we would want him to be, but just not the God of the Bible. And so today when so many of us want to look at God and his grace and his mercy and his compassion and his loving kindness as though they're all, that is all that there is, we are confronted with that though he is a God of great love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness, he's also a God of justice, a God of holiness, a God of equity. And I know that someplace along the line uh, this weekend, you know, whether it's here or online or both, right, somebody's going to get upset. And I, I'm cool with that. I'm, I'm a big boy. Won't be the fir- my, my first rodeo. But I do want you to know that really what you're upset with is not with me, it's God's word. Because what we see is in God in his justice, God in his holiness, God in his equity is beginning to now pour out what man deserves. And we don't like to hear that. In fact, before we get to Revelation today, I wonder if you just turn a few pages back to 2 Peter. Because Peter even talks about this. 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, um, it's in verse 3 here. He says, know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and by water, and through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, 
kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with an intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Peter says, the longer we go here, more and more people are going to rebel to this idea of coming judgment because things just continue to go on, right? Where's the promise of his coming? And his whole point is they are willingly ignorant that God has already judged the earth once. And I do find it quite interesting of how much in this new age with so much evidence towards that 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 we seem to just want to ignore that. You do know that 95% of the fossil record that we have here on this earth is shallow marine life. Even up on the top of mountains, they're shells. We kind of like to skip over that, but God's already judged the earth once. I think I mentioned to you all before, Tammy and I, a couple years ago, were down at Karchner Caverns, which uh, down by uh, Benson, Sierra Vista, and we're waiting to go on our tour. They were, there was a kind of little museum there, and when they found this cave, when they first went in, here were the bones of a giant sloth with a giant sloth lives in tropical places. Not so much Sierra Vista today, but, uh, but how they explained that was just, you know, millions and millions and millions of years ago, it used to be a tropical rainforest. And so there's the sloth. And then they also now find in the cave and around that area all these shells. And so fast forward a couple million years from the tropical rainforest, it also then became uh, some type of an of a ocean basin for a little bit. And, and yet eh, we're willingly ignorant of the fact that God has already judged the world once. And there's a second judgment coming. And it begins here in the book of Revelation. It's not finished till you get to Revelation 21. New heavens and new earth. It's burned with fire. But it begins here in the book of Revelation. So, if you were with us, turn with us, uh, Revelation chapter 6. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 6. Last week, we, uh, we dealt with verses 1 and 2. Just remind you, it's a seven-sealed scroll. The best we understand, uh, it's a legal contract, probably the idea of the deed of the earth, written on the outside, who is worthy to open the scroll, which is probably why John wept. He could read it. No one's found worthy until Jesus obviously is there. He's the one worthy. Now the seals, these are what have to be executed in order to reclaim the earth. 
So last week we worked at verse 1 and 2. We're going to look at verse down to verse 8 today. So why don't we just read the eight verses together? He says, Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a loud voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarters of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beast of the earth. So, the first seal is this one coming on the white horse. As we talked about last week, the rider of the horse isn't as important as the horse itself. It's the sign prophetically, if you go back to Zechariah chapter 1 and chapter 6, of, of coming judgment, the white horse. We take this as ultimately the Antichrist, one coming with the platform of peace, that idea that he has a bow but no arrows, but he comes conquering and to conquer. It doesn't mean that there won't be war and some of the conquering, but most likely it's the idea of him making covenants and is making the covenant with Israel for seven years, like we, we saw in Daniel chapter 9. But and so that is the first judgment, this, this anti-Christ, this one who will come promising peace. And yet what's the very next seal? Well, it's the idea of war. It's the idea of bloodshed. What he says here is, I saw a red horse. The idea of red there is fiery red. It represents blood. It represents the fire of war. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. Now think about it. On the one hand, the first seal is a man of peace coming, and yet the second seal is taking peace. Why? Because it is not the Messiah. It is the Antichrist. It is the false Christ. It is the one who will come and proclaim peace, but there will be no peace. The one promising peace, but it will never deliver peace. Isn't that exactly how the enemy works? He comes proclaiming certain things, speaking that this is what will happen, but they're, they're lies. Ultimately, the Messiah does come. Revelation 19. 
He is the Prince of Peace. And for a thousand years, the world will now experience peace where there will be no more war, where there will be no more bloodshed. He truly is the Prince of Peace. But Satan comes, the angel of light, masquerading as an angel of light. Peace, peace, and yet there is no peace. Couldn't help but think of, you know, obviously that's prophetic But isn't that exactly how it works in our life today? The angel promises, the enemy promises. After you, you know, just just follow your passions. That'll make you happy. Just, you know, do what feels good. That's what will bring you peace in your life. We have a world that is starved for peace. A world where we've removed any social, moral barriers, right? Just do whatever feels good. And we have a world that is is at war with one another. Can I just remind you that there is truly one Prince of Peace, even today, and it's Jesus. You want to know peace? You want to know purpose? You want to know meaning? You follow Jesus with your whole heart? That's where you'll find it. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go perfect, right? Because peace, peace is, is that, that emotional stability even in the midst of difficult times. But when you know Jesus, he is the one who brings peace. Last few weeks, I've, I've had just a lot of folk going through difficult stuff with death and people in their lives and and it's uh, just been fun to be around some of them who, you know, man, they know Jesus. He is their peace. They have followed Jesus. And even in the midst of this difficulty, you can just sense that they don't know how it's going to turn out. They're praying that God will, will bring, you know, healing and all. But if not, they, they know, right? They, they know that it's, it's all good. It's peace. You're searching for peace today. You're not going to find it in this world. You're not going to find it in the stuff that this world says brings you happiness. You find it in Jesus and following him. So war comes. War. Remember last week, so if you weren't with us, we looked at two other passages that talk about the tribulation. We looked at Daniel chapter 9. We looked at Matthew 24. And one of the things that we saw about Matthew 24 is that Matthew 24 is kind of the short version of the book of Revelation. It lines up perfectly with these seven seals. Remember what Jesus said right here? You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. for the tribulation it's just the beginning for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom war now obviously right now we got a boatload of war going on in our world don't we but it's going to be exponential when we get to this part and and it's not just notice it's not just simply war but it's men would slay one another the, the crimes of people against people, uh, the, 
that, that sense of um, a civil unrest, I think, is probably the best way to look at it, that will be taking place. I mean, you know, even today, we, we know that even in our own country, right, there, there's way different. I was looking up, I, I love Chicago, I grew up around there, went to school there. Uh, you know, so far this year, nearly 500 homicides in the city of Chicago since January 1st of 23. Crazy. Peace is taken from the earth. Peace is taken from, from away from mankind. So wars, rumors of wars, but also one man against another. He then uses this picture of a great sword is given to him. And of course, during John's day, the Romans actually carried two swords. There was a small one, just about 18 inches long. It's that two-edged one. We talked about it in the book of Hebrews. But then there was actually a really long, heavy one, which is what they carried in the battle. The one which is kind of used for hand-to-hand -hand combat. This is used for going into battle, slashing and slaying. That's the idea. War at an unprecedented level that is going to come to the earth. The second seal then, I think is actually tied to that. Verse five, and then he broke the third seal and I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not damage the oil and the wine. The black horse where the fiery red horse represents war and the destruction of war, the black horse represents the devastation of famine. Famine often comes uh, with war. I mean, you see that even happening uh, there in that whole Ukraine-Russia uh, conflict that's going on now. Why? Well, first of all, the, the men that are there to plant and to harvest aren't there. They're off at war. Plus, there is the, uh, you know, it's not safe at times to go out. The, this, the uh, supply chains are all messed up. You know, like we haven't experienced that ourselves in the last couple of years, right? It, it's just so famine comes. And famine will, will lead to the rationing of food. That's what most commentators believe this idea that he has a pair of scales, right? It's weighed out. You only get so much. And so there will only be so much food to go around. And you think about how the weapons of warfare have morphed over the years. And today with both nuclear weapons, biological weapons, chemical weapons, what that would do also to the food supply, to things if they get contaminated with that, and now all of a sudden are unedible, you begin to realize this idea of famine and food rationing is going to be huge. He says this, a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius. What does that mean? Well, uh, most of you know, a, a denarius was considered a one, um, one man, one wa day's wage. So if a man worked a full day, what he would get is the denarius. So it's kind of a one day's pay. So, what he's saying here is that one quart of wheat. Now, wheat was considered uh, in, in that time as the superior 
product. That, that, was, that was the, the um, way, as you'll see, much better than barley. It was considered more nutritious. It was considered more filling. It was considered better tasting. Wheat was the thing. And typically, what they thought was that a person needed about a quart a day to be able to go on. So the whole idea is, is that you'll be working all day just to put enough food on the table, oh, by the way, for yourself. Or the barley, which is, uh, it's an inferior grain or considered inferior. It doesn't have as much nutrients. Uh, and doesn't taste as good. In fact, if you remember Jesus feeding the five loaves and the two, you know, the couple fish there, right? They were barley loaves, right? And the whole idea was that's the cheap stuff. It's not very good. It's not very nutritious. It's not very filling. And so when you think of three quarts, well, maybe enough to get through three people, but it's going to take you all day. But then he goes on and says this. First of all, it's, I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures. Now, if you go back to chapter 4, where are the four living creatures? They are around the throne of God. And so this is even either God the Father saying this as part of the judgment, or perhaps it was the Lamb who was standing there but expresses this, but oil and wine don't touch. The idea of oil there is not crude oil, it's olive oil. Olive oil and wine were considered luxuries. You don't need them to live. They're really nice to have. It helps you cook. It gives it some flavor, helps you wash it down. You don't have to drink water, but they're not necessities to life like just the very basic idea of wheat or barley would be. And so what you get here is that a famine appears to touch all the things that everybody has to have, but the things of luxury it won't. So, so maybe the idea of the destruction of the, of the middle class, that as what happens in societies is the rich get richer and there gets less. Also what happens at that point? Social unrest, right? Anger, hostility. We see that all around the world. I think we all have experienced in the last three years. You know, you used to be able to go fill up your basket at the grocery store. And you get to the checkout, it might be 100 bucks. Today, you put four things in, you're about 120 Right? You know what it's like. Well, that, again, put that on steroids. Because there's going to be famine. The fourth, the fourth one is in verse 7. And when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with him. Authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beast of the earth. Ashen reps, represents the color of uh, the pale, uh, the color of death is the idea here. You know, if you've ever... Um, been around dead bodies. I mean, you know the moment the spirit leaves, right? It, it changes, right? And it even changes color. But as it, the longer it goes, the more ashen, the more pale it becomes 
um, that's why f- what keeps funeral homes in business because then they get to put all kinds of makeup trying to make it look good, right? Because we try to f- fix up death, but it's not. And, and, and so his whole po- this whole thing is the idea of death and death is followed by Hades. It's the death and grave, incredible death. In fact, so much so, and what he says here is this is like one, one quarter one quarter of the world's population. Now think about that for a moment. According to the statistics that I could find, last November, the world crossed the 8 billion people threshold. So we are talking 2 billion people are dead. It's incredible. And he says here, and he mentions some of the things that I've already mentioned, to, uh, to kill with the sword and with famine. Now he adds pestilence. Pestilence is the idea of disease, sickness. It's, uh, it can also deal with natural dis- disasters like earthquakes and hurricanes and all those things. But again, we're reminded often in war, the the greatest cause of death in war, I mean, you go back to our civil war, way more people died in the civil war uh, not getting shot with a little musket ball, but it was the infection and the disease, even the diarrhea that came. World War I, they tell us that three times as many died of sickness and disease. You think of uh, of the Black Plague in the early 1900s. You also notice that he goes on and says, and by the wild beast. And so as great pieces of populations die, the animals begin to take over. Remember when God took Israel into the promised land? He says, I'm not going to drive them out at one time because then the wild animals will take over. I'll drive them out a little bit at a time. Well, here with great pockets of the world's population dying, the animals begin to take over. I mean, again, you kind of think Fenarda, you think of anthrax, you think of all these diseases that are there. Incredible, incredible times of death and destruction. And one of the things you got to ask is, okay, so is the fourth seal, is it accumulative? Right? Or when we get to one-fourth, are we counting everything that started back with the start of wars? Or is this one-fourth just with this one judgment? I don't know. Doesn't tell us. Either way, it's horrendous. And what I would like to remind you of is that when Jesus got here in Matthew 24, he makes a comment. He says, and this is merely the beginning of birth pangs. Do you understand what's coming? I I mean, times of distress, times of trouble, times of tribulation unlike the world has ever seen. And so to me, it raises a very important question. And I hope as we go through the book of Revelation that this is the question, even if I don't raise it, that you'll continually raise to yourself. But the question is, okay, in light of this, how should we then live? 
You know, most of us that are here today, we're sitting here and we're going, man, I'm glad I'm not going to be here because we think that the rapture is going to take us first, right? And so do we just sit here thinking about our blessed hope, you know, twiddling our thumbs until the roll is called up yonder? Or do we allow this to call us to action? And what I would encourage you to think about is the reason we're given prophecy is just not so that we can read the headlines a certain way and all, be sitting around and trying to figure out if this is that or this is this. I think it's a call to action. I mean, think about it. If the rapture takes place today, let's say Jesus returns, right? The role is called up yonder. And by tonight, we are enjoying the presence of Jesus. Our best day ever. Let's think for a moment about our neighbors who don't know Jesus. Let's think for a moment about our family members who don't know Jesus. Let's think for a moment about our work associates that don't know Jesus. They are heading into a time. You know, if you get out on social media, one of the things that Christians really get accused of is the apocalyptic thinking. Well, it's common. It's common. And we don't know how soon after the rapture the tribulation will start, but I don't think it'll take much time to, to coalesce together around one world government and a man of peace who would promise peace in now this crazy world. And yet just into these 19 judgments that you see in the book of Revelation, just four in, one-fourth of the world's population is dead. That means one out of every four. And worse than that, most of them, most of them are heading into a Christless eternity. You say, well, aren't people going to get saved during this time? Yes, they will. But think about it. Early on, if you and I, the one who are to be here as salt and light, and we're gone, who is it that's going to tell them early on? Now, God's going to start doing a work. We're going to see 144,000 Jewish preachers are going to come and all of that. But we're early on in this. Who is going to tell them? You get to the end of the book of, or chapter 20, and he says this, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is their end. Folk, today you and I have the message of hope. You and I have truth. You and I have the, the, the Bible calls it the light to see in the midst of the darkness of, of what is going on in this world and that there's hope that Jesus has come to, to deliver. Jesus has come to purchase with his blood men from every tongue and tribe and people group and nation. In fact, do you remember we read it in Second Peter, the Lord's not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, 
but for all to come to repentance. Why hasn't Jesus come back? Well, what Peter tells us is he's not, he doesn't want people to have to go through this. He wants them to know Jesus. And for those of us that know him, that is our call. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, and you've not come to put your faith, your trust in Jesus. Folks, that's where it all begins. That's where it begins. He came and he died for you as the son of God. And if you will believe that as the son of God, that he paid for your sins and ask him to be your savior and to forgive you, he'll do that and make you his child and become your prince of peace.